Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I am really excited about these next five episodes. It is a new series called the Emotional Resilience Episodes. I know, call me creative. (laughs) But it's five podcast episodes over the next 10 weeks that each one focuses on a specific type of emotional resilience skill. And I feel like this is so important right now. I pull in experts, I pull in stories from other interviews. We've got a lot of great stuff that's gonna go into these. So super excited. Today is episode one of this series. It's called From Awareness to Action, Building Emotional Resilience Through Understanding Who You Are and Embracing Your Strength. Steve Maraboli says, life doesn't get easier or more forgiving. We get stronger and more resilient, unquote. In this crazy world we live in right now, we come up against things people in no other time have had to deal with. Our mental and emotional resources are taxed with mental illness, with severe deviations like all the confusion around gender, the high suicide rates, the high school shootings, access to all sorts of depravity with a click of a button, the knowledge of all the terrors that are taking place all over the world. These are unique to our time. We have experienced the trials of being secluded during a pandemic and that negative voice in our heads telling us that we are worthless seems to be at shouting levels right now. So emotional resilience is something we need like never before. Let me just clarify, when I say that in no other time have we had to deal, have humans had to deal with these, I'm not suggesting that, of course, nobody's ever had depression or nobody's ever dealt with some gender confusion. I'm I'm not saying that these things have never happened. What I'm saying is that at no other time have we had so many of these things on top of each other, the shootings, pandemics, the all of the confusion, the, the high rates of depression and suicide, that all of these things have really just piled us high and deep, that in this day and age, in this time, that we require an emotional resilience that we've never had to have before as humans. I really like what Steve said, though life doesn't get easier or more forgiving, we get stronger and more resilient. But like any skill, that often takes intentional work on our part. So let's fight for our lives and our peace of mind. Let's learn and practice resilience. Stay tuned for part one of this five-part emotional resilience series, understanding who you are and embracing your strength. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. I joined an emotional resilience group a few years back, and there was a physical therapist, a composer, a nurse, a home economics teacher, and me, a realtor. Why I am identifying us by our (laughs) range of careers, I don't know, but it kind of just shows the breadth of the group. 
We did not know each other beforehand, and we were doing this course online because it was during COVID. This group was put together by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in an effort to support people in learning emotional resilience during a hard time. But it turns out, of course, that emotional resilience isn't something just for COVID-sequestered people. It is a set of skills that we all need in order to navigate life successfully and not end up shattered on the emotional rocks at the bottom of life's cliffs. So this class that we were taking, it focused on learning and practicing spiritual and practical skills to better care for our minds and our bodies, our emotions, our relationships. And we did the class as a council. We would share personal experiences. We would make phone calls to support each other outside of class. We practiced different skills like healthy thinking patterns and managing stress, overcoming anger, all the good stuff. And everyone took different things from the sessions because we all just needed different things. We were on different places on the path. And like that class, everyone will get something different from this series as well. So I put together these five episodes that glean some of my biggest takeaways from that 188-page, 10-week course. And I hope these will support you in your own quest for choosing emotional resilience skills. I'm going to share stories use content I pulled from the manual, all kinds of good stuff. So take from it what resonates with you, that you may navigate your life with a bit more resilience one step at a time. What is emotional resilience? As children, we picture our futures with all the good things. I pictured happy relationships and a nice home, a successful career, lots of friends. Like we're just picturing the good stuff because as children, we don't know or understand how deeply difficult life will be in the future. We don't picture the divorce or the depression, the anxiety, the cancer diagnosis, the loss of the job, the death of someone we love, the sexual assault, the disloyalty of a close friend. We don't picture the emotional gauntlet that we're going to be forced to navigate just simply because of the nature of being in this world. Emotional resilience is the ability to adapt to emotional challenges with courage and faith, helping ourselves, helping others, reaching out for additional help when it's needed. You know, we throw around the words emotional resilience everywhere. It's kind of a catchphrase right now. But let me just repeat that definition. Emotional resilience is the ability to adapt to emotional challenges with courage and faith, helping ourselves, helping others, and reaching out for additional help when needed. We can do that. We can absolutely do that. The mind is where all the battles of life are won or lost. So choosing to strengthen our mental capacity and our mental muscle in order to better deal with the real journey of the hero, that's a choice. It's a choice we have to arm ourselves for that battle. Learning emotional resilience is the armor. And we have the choice to practice those skills. Catherine Reynolds, she is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She practices solution-focused therapy, and she's passionate about helping women with anxiety or depression regain their sense of identity and expression and purpose. So I pulled her in for this series 
to get her take and expertise on some of the things that we'll be discussing in the next five episodes. And I asked her what she thought emotional resilience looked like. Here's what she said. And so I found this other quote, and this is what I wanted to highlight as what emotional resilience is. It says, today I rise, today I heal, today I breathe, and I smile for real. Mm. And so I think about rising, healing, and breathing. Those are things that you can do to be resilient. They're not fake. They're not just It doesn't always look pretty. It doesn't always look like you're thriving, but you're getting up each time you fall or feel like you fall short or have nothing left to give. Also the healing, like allowing for the healing because you're being honest with your circumstance and just breathing, just showing up and being present to me. I would say those three are the emotional resilience. The ability to rise, what mindsets can help us pull on that strength when we need it. In this episode, there are three points I want to make that will help us as we learn about emotional resiliency. And the first one of those is remember who you are. The second one is spiritual growth and learning is the whole reason that we are here. And the third one is that we get to choose how we respond to the things that we encounter in life. And with that choosing, we build our character one struggle at a time. These, I hope, will set a foundation for the following four episodes in this series that get more specific with emotional resilience techniques. But let's start with number one, our first step to finding strength, self-love and resilience is to know who we are and who we are not. Let me share some quotes to lay this groundwork. In the Doctrine and Covenants, which is a scripture from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, it says, quote, Remember the worth of souls is great in the sight of God, unquote. And Boyd K. Packer, who is one of the general authorities in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, he said, quote, You are a child of God. He is the father of your spirit, Spiritually, you are of noble birth, the offspring of the King of Heaven. Fix that truth in your mind and hold to it. Unquote. Dallin H. Oaks, who is also in the First Presidency in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, said, um, quote, Be careful how you characterize yourself. Don't characterize or define yourself by some temporary quality. The only single quality that should characterize us is that we are a son or daughter of God. One of the greatest battles we fight is against the mindset that we are unworthy, even unworthy before God. Satan uses discouragement to cause us to doubt God's love for us and to doubt our divine nature. This is a powerful play on his part because if he can make us believe that we are nothing, and as he did in the Garden of Eden when he told Adam to go hide, if he can get us to hide from God, then we, of our own will, choose to separate ourselves from our greatest source of strength and spiritual reinforcement. Now, from the standpoint of a war, in this case a spiritual war, That is the equivalent of getting you to leave the walls of your fortified city and wander confused out onto the battlefield. 
when you do that, it makes you easy, easy prey. Think about it. Now, when I look at my boys, I have two boys. I see so much. I see tremendous beauty, talent, ability, potential. They often shrug off my praise because it's just coming from mom. But on the contrary, this is exactly the eyes they should look through to see their glory, the eyes who see it clearest. I have been with them from the beginning. I think about how much I want my boys to accept their strength and their beauty and the power, how much I want them to live into their obvious greatness, how much I want them to be unaffected by the critics and the insecurities brought on by society and social media, the culture, expectation. And you know what? Here's the thing that's interesting is I know that God wants the same for me and of course for them, but that I will accept and not doubt my own glorious ability and potential. Like think of it as a parent, a parent seeing a child for all they are and all they could be and hoping that they will embrace that with boldness and not shrink in fear and be something smaller than they are. We can relate. And I think This also helps us understand what God hopes for us, too. Elder Dieter F. Uchtdorf, apostle in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, said, quote, Much of the confusion we experience in this life comes from simply not understanding who we are. The apostle Paul, he wrote a hymn to charity, and translated in part, it says, quote, For now we see through a glass darkly. Unquote. The, the original actually reads, we see in a mirror dimly. Or in other words, we do not fully see ourselves or understand who we are. It is why we seek to know who we are, to know our relationship to God. Some of the big questions we ask as we navigate life, who am I? Why am I here? Once we embrace the answers, we become stronger. Who am I? I am a child of God. Why am I here? to learn, to grow, to experience. Spencer W. Kimball, past president and prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints said, quote, God is your father. He loves you. He and your mother in heaven value you beyond any measure. You are unique, one of a kind, made of the eternal intelligence which gives you claim upon eternal life. Let there be no question in your mind about your value as an individual, unquote. If we will accept this premise, really accept it, that we are loved by a benevolent God, that we are His and He is ours, we will most certainly make different choices. We will find courage rather than fear during the hard times. We will square our shoulders even when we doubt. We will have the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, as Timothy said in the New Testament. Let's go to my second point. Our progress spiritually is the reason that we are here. Orson F. Whitney said, quote, No pain that we suffer, no trial that we experience is wasted. It ministers to our education, to the development of such qualities as patience, faith, fortitude, and humility. All that we suffer and all that we endure, especially when we endure patiently, 
builds up our characters, purifies our hearts, expands our souls, and makes us more tender and charitable. And it is through sorrow and suffering, toil and tribulation that we gain the education that we came here to acquire. So the gauntlet, while difficult, isn't all bad. There is purpose." I wanted to throw in some things from just a range of people. Plato, a voice from Greek philosophy, said that our paramount moral duty was to become like God as far as possible. This means that we will have to know many things, experience many things, be pushed into the workshop of life where we can try out such things as patience, love, forgiveness, faith. The Apostle Peter, who is a voice from the New Testament, he noted that we seek to emulate the divine. This will cost us everything, he said. Acquiring divine nature is not for the weak. It is a place of meekness, a space to gain understanding. And Enoch, a voice from the Book of Mormon, his experience with God was that he saw him weep over his creations, which shows that God deeply loves and suffers with us, but that God rejoices and commands Enoch to rejoice also when Christ came to heal and create a return space to Heavenly Father. This is a comfort as we face the painful stretching of spiritual growth. Okay, my third point. Let's bring things into our own control now. Less divine and more about how we navigate that path. In all aspects of life, the good, the bad, the ugly, we always get to choose how we respond. We always get to choose the story that we create about it in our own heads. We can believe we are victims, or we can choose to use our agency to choose better, healthier mindsets. I know. This puts a lot of responsibility on us for regulating our emotions and taking responsibility. So sometimes it's not a favorite. (laughs) But let me share this quote by David A. Bednar, an apostle from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Quote, As sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, we have been blessed with the gift of moral agency, the capacity for independent action and choice, endowed with agency, You and I are agents, and we primarily are to act and not just be acted upon. To believe that someone or something can make us feel offended, angry, hurt, or bitter diminishes our moral agency and transforms us into objects to be acted upon. As agents, however, you and I have the power to act and to choose how we will respond." I wanted to get Catherine's take on this idea as well. And she clarified things a bit. I think her comments keep this idea real. Here is what she said. Again, this is Catherine, uh, the family therapist that I brought in to, um, and we're going to hear from her in all five episodes. But here's what she said about this specific topic. So we always talk about our control over our thoughts and recognize stories that we create in our own minds that when I say we I mean here on the podcast and we say things like no one can make you angry and you choose to be offended you know I mean again here we are coming back to responsibility over our own mindset over our own emotions but how do we realistically become better at controlling our emotions so that that feels more doable yeah when I read your question too the word control is a little bit of a trigger word in the in the therapy realm so like 
control emotions starts to actually give me anxiety because controlling feelings ends up becoming like stifling them a little bit. Okay. But I know what your I know your question is more than that. So, but I think it's a good thing for people to realize outside of just this conversation. We can't necessarily control them, but we can learn how to feel them. We can learn how to navigate them and we can learn how to express them. I have quite a bit of thoughts on this. Like one example, um, I, I work a lot with clients with anxiety and they're constantly trying to control their emotions in session. They don't want to cry. They don't want to shut down. They even avoid, avoid it at all costs. Like their body starts shaking. Sometimes there's a control piece. The minute they're able to let it flow, the anxiety and the body reactions actually dissipate. So, you know, anger and sadness are called difficult emotions. They're not necessarily negative, but I would say most people think of them as more like aversive, like bad, bad feelings, mm -hmm. but they're not negative. They're all needing to be expressed. And so when we just try to control them, it actually stifles the body's natural response, which is usually to get it out of the body, like crying or even mm -hmm. some physical responses. Um, Thank you for that clarification, because yeah. I remember having a conversation with, um, well, it was a number of episodes ago, maybe even a couple of years ago, and we were talking about fear and the way that she, she packaged all of this was that, you know, when we take fear and anger and their emotions and we put them in the basement, like they're the bad children and we keep mm -hmm. them locked up, like that, feel those, right? Yeah, then they actually become rebellious and, and more forthright because mm -hmm. they're trying, you know, banging on the door, trying to get out. So this idea of accepting all the feels letting them yeah. flow through you. But I also, I guess the question comes back to you called navigating them. So you yeah. get to feel them, you get to acknowledge them. You even get to possibly be self-aware and curious about, you know, what triggered yeah, me yeah. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but then how, what is something, maybe let's just say one step that we can work on to get yeah. to navigate those better. Yeah. Let me give you an example of this. Um, so aggression is common when you're angry because you want to get it out of the body. So you hmm. see that with young kids, you see it with babies or like tantrums. So hitting self-harm as more comes out through teen years, sometimes throwing damaging property. Those are not emotions. Those are negative behaviors. <laughs> sure. And that causes harm to self and others, which is technically not okay because of the results of those behaviors, but letting clients feel the anger or cry, letting it out of the body, actually let it, like I said, let it flow. And I like to call it more like mastering of emotional expression than just watching the behavior. Crying is such a natural release. They have done studies about different kinds of tears even and some are healing tears some are sad tears some are mad like there's different mm. molecular structure in the actual water it's really yeah that's fascinating, fascinating. absolutely um, so when you say one thing for clients to do mm -hmm. my main goal is for them to sit with the feelings even if they're difficult so again not bad emotions but difficult and then let them see where they can actually let it out I give them the example of the water bottle. I usually have a water bottle right next to me. And I say, your emotions are right at the top. And if, you know, the water level's super high, 
And if there's any little squeeze, it tends to just overflow and it becomes too much. So that's where like stress and anxiety can be overwhelming, but you need to find outlets. What are those outlets? Whether that's physical, emotional expression, journaling, walking, moving, creating, there's all sorts of ways physically to have those feelings be released and better than stifling and keeping the water level just rising and rising to okay. the first. I like that. So what I hear is we need to accept and feel mm-hmm. and be curious and allow for all the emotions. And then a step toward being able to navigate them well is have outlets for them, allowing ourselves to cry, allowing ourselves to feel, allowing ourselves to scream if we want, but in the mm-hmm. right spaces. Yeah. And, okay. I firmly believe that it is in the struggle to do so that we build mental and emotional muscle. And often it's where we find the gifts that are waiting for us. It's like a treasure hunt for the persistent. (laughs) So if we start with awareness, notice when we have natural man responses like blame, complain, find out, find fault, find a doubt, give up, procrastinate, anger, self-pity, fear. When we just from curiosity notice when those are popping up. And then when we see those things in ourselves, we get to choose a better response. In episode 241, Samantha Hawkins, she shares a story of not getting a job she felt she was qualified for. Now, in this experience, she had the choice to be angry, to blame others, or to let self-doubt creep in, to quit trying. She had a lot of choices there. What she chose was to rally, to get feedback, to learn more new skills that would help her get the job next time. I wanted to share this clip from my interview with her because you know, when we talk about things, it's always nice to get an actual example of that happening. So listen to hers. I'd like to talk about sticking to it and being persevering, even in my job, my main job in dispatch. So I remember probably about three years ago, I had went for a position. I wanted to be a training officer. And I had felt like I had poured so much of myself into my work to get this role. I felt I had checked all the boxes that should have been checked. And I remember sitting there, having applied, having put everything out there. And I'm sitting in this office and the training coordinators, the ones who would make the decision, they're looking at me. And the first words out of one of their mouths was, so we have four slots and you scored really high on the application, but you weren't chosen. And I could just remember just feeling like, oh. Just the air leave my body. (laughs) Um, It's not like it was the first time in my life I'd ever been rejected. But it's always something when you kind of build in your head that I can do this. I can do this. Likewise, kind of like being a writer, right? You write something and you're just so convinced. Oh, I know this is it. This publisher is going to accept it. And then you get the rejection letter. So I I was sitting in that office and I heard, I know, no. Sorry, actually, you you didn't get this, but try again in a year. You know, don't give up. Try again. And I just sat there and the training coordinator says, Sam, are you okay? Got something to say? I said, no, I'm okay. Thank you. Walked out and I went home. And the next day I was on Indeed.com scouring the job listings within 
five to 10 miles from my home because I said, that's it. I'm giving up. I'm giving in. I was ready to go. I was ready to rage quit because I had checked all the boxes that I felt should have impressed others enough to give me this position. My mom asked me, like, what are you doing that morning over breakfast? And I said, well, I'm planning on leaving. This is what I'm doing. And I'm searching for jobs. And I remember her looking me in the eye and saying, now, are you leaving because you feel that it's time for you to leave? Or are you leaving because you got an attitude? You didn't get this position. <laughs> you got some tood, girl. <laughs> I definitely had some tood, had some attitude there. <laughs> Through talking with her, what I, I realized was that when you enter a place in your life or a job, right, you kind of want to leave knowing that you've done all you, that you was meant to do. It's like any place in your life sometimes. It could be a neighborhood you live in. It could be a, a, a social circle. And sometimes, sometimes you're called to leave that neighborhood or that social circle. You're called to move on. But when you can leave with the satisfaction that you accomplished all you were meant to do, that's incredible. And when I really asked myself, did I do all that I wanted to do in this profession in emergency communications? I said, no, I hadn't. I knew the impact I wanted to make. I knew what I wanted to do. So what I decided was, okay, I can't be a training officer in this agency, but if I really want to train and teach people, I don't need a title that says, I don't need that to be able to, to wear that on my shirt. I can teach without the pay bump, without the specialty title. I wasn't even trying to prove anything to them, the training coordinators. I wanted to prove to myself that it was more than just a position. It was a true passion. So after that, I realized that if I was going to teach and train others, I need to make sure I had quality training and I had, you know, was still learning because the best trainers and teachers are learners, right? So that was the first time that I started looking into going into national conferences. I wanted to go to a national conference for dispatchers. I had never been. At this point, I now have going on eight years of experience in emergency communications. But at that time when this happened, I was at four and a half years and I'd never been to any kind of conference. So I stumbled across this scholarship opportunity to go to a conference. And I remember it was like at the last minute, a few days before the deadline, I said, hey, what the heck? And I submitted my application and I was selected. And I was so, so happy about that. And you know how it all starts sometimes with one thing, right? It's the best kind of snowball. You start with one thing and things just click into place. Yeah. What's crazy is before I ever even attended my first conference, I spoke virtually at a conference with thousands in attendance. And the person that actually awarded me the scholarship, it was their virtual conference. And again, kind of the last minute, I saw that there was a call for speakers out. This particular conference, it was called uh, Dare to be Great. It's a big virtual conference for emergency communications officers, dispatchers, 911 call takers. And here I am again thinking, Heck, I've never even been to a conference myself, but there was a call for speakers out. And I said that I wanted to teach and train. And I thought, well, got a little bit something to share, a little insights, been doing this job a little minute. So I, I put together a presentation called 10 Things Your 911 Caller Wishes You Understood, which is the reverse of, we always want to tell people when you call 911, this is what you need to have in mind. Mm -hmm. It was the reverse of that. As that 911 call taker, that dispatcher, here's what you need to have in mind when your caller calls in. You know what? I love what you did with, um, first of all, just taking what was dealt to you. Like some, we don't have control over all the things that happen. And when they say you didn't 
get put into this position to stay where you're at only to make it the best it can possibly be. So make the best of your situation while also taking the moves to increase your own education and experience moving in a continued move forward toward those goals you originally had. That's brilliant. Love that. Yes, ma'am. And I could end it there because to me, that's a pretty good ending. But flash forward, I've spoken at national conferences, regional conferences, and that position that I was passed over, I ended up getting that training officer position. But I got that. And then it was only about six months later, I was promoted to an administrative position in the training division. Wow. And I remember when I sat down both times, the first time around to for them to say, hey, you got this training officer position. They looked at me and said, you know, man, you were the most qualified to get this. And I said to them right then and there, because I had a boldness that I didn't have a year ago when I was turned down. I said, I got to be honest with you. all I'm at a place in my life where I want this. But back then it was all I, you know, I, I was all I could think of that I could get like that was the best. Now, if I don't get this position, I'm still going to continue teaching and training. I'm doing it nationally and regionally, but I want to do it here at my center as well. You know, so I proved something to myself. Yes, absolutely. I think so <laughs> many of the things we go through are often for us. Like we come to understand who we are. We come to learn about us in the process. And I really mm. think that what you've hit on here with this example and this story is just super key that you did end up getting what you wanted, but you needed to keep your eye on the prize. You needed to persevere. You needed to keep adding things to your portfolio, which you immediately did. And that's the key. If you just keep persistently adding to it, you're going to get there. You can see from her example that the mindset of blame and quitting is going to get a very different result from the approach that she took of making moves to get where she wanted, taking action to get better instead of just quitting when she was told no or getting bitter or, you know, getting a chip on her shoulder the choices that we make in those situations become crucial to what our future holds for us. This is an example of emotional resilience, navigating, touching those emotional spaces. Rejection is a tough emotional space. So in conclusion, knowing who we are, why we are here, and that we have the power of choice, some of the most pressing questions of life are answered. With those answers, we are empowered to face the struggles of living with more power and more peace. Knowing these things does not remove the challenges, but it helps us find strength in the navigation of the hard things. It strengthens our emotional and our mental capacity and resiliency because we know and understand who we are and what we're fighting for. Your challenge this week is to deeply consider these things and see how they strengthen you. If these are true, how does that change your current mental approach to facing your challenges? I also would love to have you consider where you're dealing with an emotional challenge and take your power to shift a mindset to serve you. Shift into bouncing back, shift into persistence, shift into learning. Okay, give it a try. And in two weeks, we're going to be back here for part two. Thank you for being here today. And thanks to NFA Coaching and her five-star review titled, Inspiring the World with Meaningful Stories. She says, quote, such a wonderful podcast. Lori asks questions that highlight the heart and soul of people's journeys. 
so relatable and insightful. What a gift this podcast brings to the world, unquote. Thank you. Thank you for that review. I, I love hearing from the listeners. It means a lot to me. If you leave a review, I would love to share your thoughts as well. So whatever app you're listening on, scroll down. It gives you the option to leave a review. That would be much appreciated. So have a great intentional two weeks until our next episode, part two of the five-part series on emotional resilience. And next, we'll be talking about healthy thinking patterns.